We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Monday, Monday, October third, and you know what we do on Mondays? We bring in James McCool. Mondays with McCool, James McCool, the co-author, with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. We have a new course that just came out a month ago. The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports for advanced players: How to apply profitable DFS strategies. I know if you have a solid understanding of game theory concepts in DFS, it could separate you from the recreational players. But do you have a systematic, repeatable, time-efficient process to analyze slates effectively and consistently build lineups that show a long-term profit? Uh, uh, And in this 10-chapter audio course, you will learn that six hours long. And it has all of the Excel tools as developed uh, exclusively and from the ground up from Mr. McCool, James McCool, right over here that I, I did use to build my MM, MMA lineups over the weekend, uh, the, my NFL lineups. I use Lineup HQ to build, to build actually build the lineups. And then I use uh, the Excel tools to, to, to analyze them and weed out the ones that I want and don't want and, and everything. And it's uh, so much quicker and, uh, and more accurate. To do so that way, then uh, try to weed through it with like settings and lineup HQ. So uh, I typically build and then bring them in there and then I choose. And I played 100 large field lineups yesterday. I played 10 single entry small field lineups. Uh, did, didn't didn't win in GPP, lost money in GPP. But my my cash games yesterday kind of kind of crushed. I I literally uh, on DraftKings, James, uh, on, on FanDuel. I, I lost uh, six head-to-heads in total, uh, mm-hmm. four to the same person, oh, right? Okay. So, like, the, yeah. they take four different ones. Okay. Yeah. So, you lost uh, three. Course, but if, if you look here, like, take a look. I mean, like, I play, like, everyone. Like, I mean, it's on the screen. Like, this is all my yeah. contest. Uh, and then on DraftKings, I literally uh, only lost one head-to-head. It was a $5 head-to-head that someone scored two points more than me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, 99 point whatever percent. Head-to-head wins and swept. I swept the quintuple-ups also. Like, I, there was not a catch contest other than one head-to-head on DraftKings and six head-to-heads, four with the same person. 
on FanDuel that I did not win. Mm -hmm. So even though I did lose money in uh, GPP, I had a very good day and props also. I ended up making five grand in props. So it, it, it was it was it was nearly a five figure day uh, overall. Uh, James, uh, if, if people follow you on on Twitter, you, you, I, I I already know that it was like the complete opposite for you. Uh yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> well, also also because you don't play cash games, also. So like like it, it wasn't that hard to, to if it was reasonably adequate, you know, sensible, competent lineup probably would have won. But when you take a stance on the under on a game that scores 93 points, your lineups are probably going to be negatively affected by that. They were slightly negatively affected by that. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if I would have played cash games, I think I probably would have ended up okay. Uh, I wouldn't have swept or anything because I would have likely played either Marcus Mariota or Lamar Jackson. I wouldn't have played Josh Allen. So that would have been a little bit of a bummer, but overall in GPPs. Yeah. I uh, I took maybe my heaviest stand. I've been doing this for a long time. Been doing this for like ten years or something. Uh, I've taken. I took maybe my heaviest stand that I've ever taken in my career against a player, except for saying that Saquon Barkley would have a bad year in 2020. Uh, that was the last big stand, and I won that one. But this one took a huge stand against uh, Geno Smith, the god, the legend, the highest QBR in the entire league this year. Uh, took stand against him and that Seattle Detroit game, and uh, things went pretty badly for me. Uh, he ended up scoring a lot, thirty-four fantasy points, I think, uh, second highest scorer on the slate overall, and uh, yeah, just brutal guy. I've never been dunked on so much by every single smart person in the industry uh, in like a forty-eight hour period as I was this weekend. So yeah, to be fair. I didn't. James, I, I just I I, I want to be to be fair enough to you, okay? Okay. Uh, I said on on the Blitz show, and I also said on the Game Theory show, yeah. this this past this past week, uh, like how I was going to handle that game, yeah. That I thought that I thought that based on what because I'm I'm running lineups because what I do is I run lineups from multiple projection sets. I run them through our correlation matrix tool mm-hmm, as part mm-hmm, of theory mm-hmm. at daily fantasy sports. I run the portfolio trimmer to see ownership mm-hmm. differences. Uh, and of course I, I change ownership like myself, like it's all cleared right. out now, but I mean, I, I, I alter ownership based on, cause I listen to all the shows and I, I see what, okay. If people are going to use an optimizer wrong, they're going to get more of this and less of yeah. that, that type of stuff. Uh, with the value, that game was going to be the chalk game, okay? Yes. Maybe not at quarterback as much, but Geno Smith was probably going to be the fourth or fifth highest-owned quarterback. Mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett was going to be one of the top three-owned receivers. Mm-hmm. Jamal Williams was going to be the top-owned running back. Mm-hmm. And then once uh, Amon Ross St. Brown was ruled out and DJ Chark was ruled out, I thought Josh Reynolds... And Khalil Raymond, we're going to get some ownership, right? So that Josh Reynolds at maybe 10 to 12%, Khalif Raymond at 6 to 8%. You have TJ Hawkinson is the highest owned tight end. Mm-hmm. So the, the concept with, with Chalk, and I, I went over this on the Gill cast. Uh, I, I was a guest last night. It's, it's up this mm-hmm. morning with, uh, with Davis and Nate. That when it, com- when it comes to Chalk... You can't think of chalk as individual. We always talk about this. Lineups, not players. Lineups, not players. 
So, like, TJ Hawkinson as a chalk tight end is like, if he does well, let's let's use probabilistic example. So, like, an 80th plus percentile outcome. If TJ Hawkinson does well, which means he's catching eight balls, 100 yards, two touchdowns, some really big ceiling result. He's he's taking Goff with him, right? Because Goff is getting those points. He's throwing the ball to him. Now, for him to be put in the situation where he needs to get 100-plus yards and two touchdowns, most likely the game has gone over its total, right? Either either the Lions are completely trucking the Seahawks, like 41-3, to three, or the game is competitive back and forth and it's going over. So if you're going to play Hawkinson as a one-off at nearly 20% owned in GPP, I think that's more than likely, depending on the rest of your lineup, a mistake. I think if you're going to play Hawkinson, you play him with Metcalf on the other side of the game. You play him with Lockett. You play him with a Goff stack. Goff, Reynolds, Hawkinson, and then you run it back with Lockett, Metcalf, Williams, any of those guys, because... If the chalk's going to hit, you want to reduce the amount of lineups that you're competing against. So when Hawkinson is 20% owned and you plug him in, now you're competing against 20% of lineups for first place, right? Like right at this very moment. Goff is 3% owned. Once you plug Goff and Hawkinson, how many of the 20% of Hawkinson lineups also have Goff in it? Not nearly as many. And then once you plug in Reynolds, you reduce the amount of lineups even more. And then once you plug in the run back, you reduce it even more. And now you have correlative pieces that if the game goes off, all four of your pieces are more likely to hit ceilings together. If you play them individually, then you're going to run into the situation where let's say like I'm using Hawk as the most, the, the best example, because the passing games are much more correlative to each other than the running games. So if you play Hawk and he gets 42 points, like he did uh, yesterday, like, like dude, like, your lineups that have like, let's say you, I, I'm going to stack uh, Herbert with Williams and Palmer and and Cooks. So you know you stacked another game, and I'll play Hawkinson as a one-off there. It's like, well, if Hawkinson is 42 points like he did yesterday, uh, you better hope that Brandon Cooks puts up as many points as DK Metcalf. I mean, because like, how else is Hawkinson getting to that score without without the game going off? So you're competing now against the lineups that have the correlated pieces in it that are getting boosts from Hawkinson's ceiling. So as I said on the uh, the uh, the game theory show as well as the Blitz show, I said with how with the chalkiness of this game and the value of the game because the a lot of the guys were good point per dollar values, it would be much better off to either play them together correlated meaning you're stacking the game or you're probably avoiding it. The only two players that you could play independently would be the running backs, would be Jamal Williams or Rashad, or Rashad Penny. Penny. Now, with Jamal Williams is the highest-owned running back, it's like, okay, you're not really you're not, you're not really going away from anything. You still have to get different in the rest of your lineup. So it's like Penny is much less owned, so you can play the other guy on the other side of the game. Those are the ones that aren't as correlated to the game going off. Now, Turns out that the whole game went off, and if you just played, if you played a showdown lineup, if you just said, "Ah, that's the only game on the slate, and I'm going to play a showdown lineup," like there, there you go. But I mean, but it it highlights the point of I believe that game was either you're playing all the correlated pieces or you're playing none. And if they all go, if the game goes off, 
You're going to need, you're going to need at least four guys from the game, right? You're going to need at least a three plus one. And if the game doesn't go off, you're going to just bust like 40% of the lineups in the entire tournament. Yeah. So, so it's going to be one or the other. And what, and, and that, so I built, I built lineups for that game that were correlated and then ones yeah. that weren't. Now the ones that weren't didn't have any piece of the game and they didn't get, they probably did not catch, but some did. So like, what was I on the four plus threes? No, no, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. So like, you got, you got, I mean, people got a ceiling result out of that, but I, I understand that completely. The value in that game was enough that you wanted to play Geno Smith, Smith, Metcalf, Lockett, Williams, Hawkinson. Like to, to me, that would have been the combination that three plus two that would, or instead of playing, but you played Jared Goff, Reynolds, Hawkinson, Penny, Metcalf, or something like that. Three plus two. I thought they were, they were absolutely reasonable. Absolutely, so, 100% reasonable. Here's, but, but, but that was the game to do it in. All the mm-hmm. other games did not have the ownership where you needed to either correlate or get the hell out of here. So here, here's two things. Uh, I I said something similar on my on my breakdown, right? Um, but I, I related for, it. You're to, just hoping for a different result. <laughs> well, yeah. So. The, the way that I looked at that game and the way that I looked at a lot of the chalk this week, uh, I, I thought that either the chalk was absolutely going to crush or it was going to be a really score, low scoring week and contrarians were going to win. I, I thought there was going to be no middle ground at all because the chalk was it was strong chalk in terms of projection. But I thought that it was very fragile chalk in terms of the game environments that were happening. So I, I agree with that. I, I we to, didn't know how good the Lions offense was going to be with all these players. It's week out. three and it's week three. So we don't know that there's, there's a couple things here. Like one with the, with the Geno Smith thing. Uh, like I had him project for 17.5. I, I was not significantly under the industry. Right, right. The, the aggregate, what I have it on my screen, the aggregate of all industry projections that I use uh, 18.67. So yeah. like, not like, not no, certainly off. I think 17.5 is fine. I had his single standard deviation ceiling of like 24.5 and his double standard deviation at like 30. And I I was fine with that. But with Geno Smith being popular and in that game, Tyler Lockett being popular, DK Metcalf being popular, TJ Hawkinson being popular, Josh Reynolds being popular. And then most of my community asking me if they, if I thought the Rashad Penny would be a good leverage play off of that game, Rashad Penny being popular. So like, all of those guys in a game environment where it's Detroit without any of their top pass catchers, like literally any of their top pass catchers and Jared Goff at QB. And then on the other side, Geno Smith led offense with Pete Carroll as the head coach. And all of this in consideration of the offenses have looked good, but through three weeks, we're going into week four. My projections, I, I wasn't quite ready to push into these offenses are good. Geno Smith deserves a projection of 20 plus. Jared Goff is going to be able to take this team of backup wide receivers and lead them to a strong outing against any team, right? We we have seen and we have historical uh we have historical priors on Jared Goff being bad when he doesn't have good wide receivers. We have historical relevance on Geno Smith being uh inefficient and with low upside etc cetera, etc cetera, right 
Uh, the way that you look at it, if you think that this game is the game to absolutely go off and eat the chalk, is saying this year's sample is more indicative of the priors that we have of these teams. And I think either way, if you want to do attack it either way, that's fine. My thinking was that the historical priors mattered a bit more in this instance rather than the current the current baselines we have for 2022. So the fragility of this chalk comes in that we have two teams that historically, based on priors, have not been able to produce well in circumstances like this. So the chalk was very fragile, even though it projected well. And I, and I said plenty of times that the projections, like my projection on Tyler Lockett was great. My projection on Hawkinson was great. My projection on Geno Smith was good. But when you look at what the models are saying, I do think that it is really important to also have a little bit of that, that intuitive sense. We talk about it in the first theory of DFS, your intuitive model. Having an intuitive sense of why the numbers are saying that and where there can be blind spots in a model. Um, I think that especially early on in the season from a model building perspective, there's a lot of blind spots that happen based on the assumptions that we're making based on the current sample that get fleshed out through like week seven is usually when things are solidified quite a bit. How is that so, different, uh, James? How is that different from your process in, in MLB? Because in MLB, we would always talk about like you, you believe that like your model in MLB mm -hmm. uh, weighs a lot more recent sample than than long-term priors and, while, and my, while someone like cardi does like the complete like cardi is like at, at at some at you know if chris davis is back in the majors yeah like chris davis is going to project well based on four years ago sample like blitz like like cardi is more likely to to use his much deeper historical parts of the sample size for regression mm -hmm. Well, you don't in MLB, but how come in NFL you feel as if like, well, the past three weeks, we, we're gonna, I, I care more about what happened last year. So I use a similar process with NFL, but I split it on five week rolling samples. Uh, so we're not quite there yet. Um, once we hit like after week four is usually it's it's so dumb. After week four is usually when I'm like, OK, 2022 is starting to matter a lot. So now, now that Geno Smith did this this week, now he's going to look good and I'm going to be pissed about it for like a month. But uh, I have a similar process with NFL where I do still do uh, short sample rolling samples of five weeks. Um, with MLB, though, we have a much larger sample of the instances that we can build baselines from. And we have much more predictive stats to utilize in MLB. Whether, whether, or I mean, whereas uh, NFL is a lot more descriptive stats, we don't have as many predictive stats that we can rely on in NFL. So while I still use somewhere around 30 days, give or take about a week for baseball, um, in so those you have, 30 to, you days, have to understand that 30, like 30 days of baseball is 30 games, that's like two seasons right. of NFL. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So in, in 30 days of MLB, you know, I, I usually get around five starts for a pitcher, which is somewhere around like 500 pitches and a hundred batters faced and like a, a pretty, that's like, that's like a five-year sample for a quarterback. Right. Exactly. So that is why my process, even though the process is relatively similar between NFL and MLB, I do still believe that I am good at gleaning on recent samples I do think that it's really important, especially early in the season for NFL, to consider your priors and consider the historical relevance of what we have in front of us. 
Um, and especially- but, but in your model, but, but but the thing is, is that like in your model, mm-hmm. in your model, I'm 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 putting objections in front of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm make I'm making I'm making you think. Yeah. In your model, mm-hmm. Geno Smith plus Lockett, yes, plus Hawkinson and Jamal Williams, yes, plus Josh Reynolds, yes, plus you know maybe some Rashad Penny a little bit, mm-hmm. some some Khalif Raymond, some like like if you if if you would have just ran like lineups, mm-hmm. like you probably even in your model, which is slightly lower than the industry, like Geno Smith would have been your second highest on stack. Like, I, why, I what like we talk about with just changing players into numbers and then mm-hmm. building lineups. We're just how do we move the numbers around better than the others? Like, like if if you just took off the names and just said, I don't know who Geno Smith is and I don't know who any of this is. Why wouldn't you have just looked at the numbers and said, even at this ownership, if I correlate these players together, like it's still like the second best game for me to stack. And then you just not waived it. Uh, after week four, I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just because it's early in the season, man. I I think that because when I ran my optimization, so my my top, the lineup that I had with the highest win equity in, in GPPs for me, was a Derek Carr stack, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, and Darren Waller with Richie James, Khalil Herbert, Jamal Williams, AJ Brown, and Devontae Parker. That was my top lineup based on my optimization. That's well, obviously wrong because it was Richie James was in it. Right, sure. Uh so see, that's second... my naw wave. See, see, that's my like Richie James. I I looked at it and I said, What why am I doing this? Right. It's but a 39 that's... total game. And the jo- the the Bears are gonna run like four 40 plays and yep. only 10 pa- like like the play. I thought the Bears Giants game was the like even though the number like I have the numbers in front of me from a will this game break off into a 60 70 point game as like this dude if this happens I just lose type of mentality of like like I, lo- I all these players seem fine from a median standpoint of like like oh very solid like Khalil Herbert mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley even Richie the the thing about the Giants is that Shepard out like who number one I know. do they do they need to pass and number two who the hell are they passing it to because whatever and then we're, we're we're projecting Richie James based on like a three week sample size mm-hmm. and his role isn't even changing so it's like all no. they're gonna do is put Galladay on the out like Jay, Richie James is gonna have the same exact role it's just that Shepard's not there mm-hmm. uh and the Bears are barely are, are gonna hold the ball and run the ball for three yards at a time mm-hmm. so. I think from a median standpoint, Richie James was fine, but like for a GPP ceiling, I'm like, am I going to get burned by a 4K Richie James? And I say, no, I'm not. Everything that you just said, those are my thoughts about Geno Smith. (laughs) Everything (laughs) that you just said. No, 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 no. But but James, James, the difference is, I want to highlight the difference. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you get to this, my second highest win equity lineup was Geno Smith, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Khalil Herbert, uh, Nick Chubb, AJ Brown, TJ Hawkinson, and then it was Zay Jones. I ran these before right, Zay before Jones got ruled out, out. Yeah. and that would have just been uh, probably Devontae Parker, probably. And that lineup kills, right? Like the one issue in that lineup is Khalil Herbert, like that, and, and like no Jamal Williams. So I had Nick Chubb who did well. Like that, that lineup is great in GBPs. So right, you just have to trust the numbers. 
Right, right. But what you just said about Richie James was yeah, but like, it's, it's 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 different. And, and I also and I also want to I also want to point out that I felt the same way about that Bears Giants game of like here's a game with a lot of chalk. I don't see this game being where I really want to lay my hat in terms of the fragility of the chalk that we have involved. I I felt better about Jamal Williams than I did about Khalil Herbert. And when I was running optimizations, I was getting more Khalil Herbert, so I knew he was going to get more ownership than Jamal Williams anyway. But I digress. Um, I, when I was looking at these games, I just felt that the chalk had a very, very fragile standpoint. And as a more contrarian player anyway, because you and I differ a lot on that, I'm fine with getting away from those things. So long as my projections are still fine against. Right, and how many, how many lineups did you play? I only played three. I only, well, I but, only that, but that, but that, that also highlights the difference as well. I just want to yeah. highlight the differences between like the fact we both agree, like we both agree that the fragility and the variance of the Detroit Seattle game was high, mm-hmm. which means that the range of outcomes we expect to be much wider than the field believes. Okay. And it, and it, it could have been what happened yesterday. It could have been a 13 to six game like that. I wish it, it was Jordan. I wish it could have been either. Now, the thing is, is that if you're going to play three lineups and it's like, you know, you know, Jamal Williams is chalk, you know, Hawkinson is chalk, you know, this game is kind of chalky. Even if you stack it, even though once you start stacking, you eliminate the lineups that you're playing against. But in three lineups, I could, I mean, dude, I could understand going, if I'm, if I'm going to, if I'm going to take advantage of the variance in this game, I'm just going to play none of it. And then just build three lineups that have none, no piece of that game at all. Mm-hmm. Because if it goes off, one piece ain't going to be good enough anyway. So either I'm playing four guys from the game or I'm playing zero guys. I'm, that's literally what I said before the yep. slate. Yep. And in three lineups, you're like, okay, I'll pick three other things. And that is the easiest way for me to find leverage. Now I'm playing 10 small field and 100 large field lineups. I had like 12. Geno Smith lineups. Yeah. I, had pl- I had plenty of secondary correlations with my, with one and ones on both sides. But the difference between the two games that you mentioned is that the Giants Bears game, number one, the only chalk pieces in this game were Barkley, James, and Herbert, and the game was, had a thirty-nine total. The Seattle Detroit game had a forty-eight total. Yeah. So like it's a nine-point difference. Like like there's a much bigger gap in like. Like, well, do you play Richie James or Josh Reynolds? I know they're like 600 apart. I'd much, I I think if they were the Richie James, they were about the same owned in the, in the large field, I believe, uh, like yeah. 11-ish percent. It's like at that point, like I'm playing the guy in the 48 total game than sure. playing the guy in the 39 sure. total game. That's, that's a receiver. Like, but if you chose to play Richie James, you should have played Richie James with Daniel Jones, mm-hmm. with, Darnell Mooney, you know, play an anti, like, don't play Khalil Herbert, play Darnell Mooney for a leverage and play for that game to go, you know, a two touchdowns over its total. But it's so much worse to play Richie James as just a one-off because like the ce- like you said, the ceiling. So I understand what you mean by the, like the Geno Smith thing. Like imagine playing Geno Smith as a, a, a naked quarterback. Like that, I- that would, that would have, like you now you could have but that's <laughs> yeah. kind of the point when you talk about Geno Smith we're not talking about the quarterback in general we're talking about the overall 
stack. Because if sure. Smith does well, he's bringing other people with him. Sure, but when you're also well, first in in the Patriot Community contest and in the DraftKings contest contest that we bid, uh, I I made sure that everybody knew that they had to play Geno Smith. They could play whatever else they wanted. So I did have one Geno Smith lineup, and it was in that contest, which is funny. Um, but yeah, the the quarterback just has so much dictation on how well the rest of the team does. So if my thoughts are that Geno Smith is being overvalued overall, not necessarily in terms of his ownership, but in terms of his expectation as a quarterback, then my expectation of the player of the position players around him will also generally be lower. Even if the models like him, that like I said, I, I think that it's important to have some common sense and some intuitiveness when it comes to even looking at the numbers. There is a science to this, and there is like a little bit of art to it when you build only three lineups and I, like i i want to like put that in his class well, i mean you could but i'm saying out of your three lineups, you still could have played a geno like you still if you had one lineup you could have chosen to play a geno smith lineup it's just right. that you chose not to right and and but if i would have had 100 lineups i'd have had like 10 probably well yeah probably. but that but that's a matter of diversification it's not like i just want to i just want to highlight james that like we get away and mm-hmm. I know this is why you never, this is why you should never tweet. Just delete Twitter. Just never have Twitter ever. Never, never, tw- never tweet takes. Cause, t- cause we're not takes people. You made a take and that truthfully that's against the, the, the theory of DFS brand. Oh, so no, that is not, no, because I got, no picks, I got, there's no, picks, there's no takes. It's just build lineups. Build plus even lineups. I, I got 15 followers. I increased the theory of DFS Oh, so brand. you were engagement farming. That's what you <laughs> No. It turned into an engagement farm. I like I would have been so happy had that game just ended up being 13 to 7 and Geno Smith scored 17 fantasy points and then he, he scores exactly what my models say and he doesn't win any GPPs and I don't get any engagement and I'm just happy with that take coming out and not crushing me. James. I didn't want the engagement. I wanted the opposite of engagement. I just wanted to be annoying and meme on Twitter. No, and then it turned no. Into... to be annoying and mean like I am by not by just play whatever you want. I mean, you have you have to, James, you would admit, okay, uh-huh. that yesterday, yeah. even though you believed that that game was overowned in mm-hmm. general, you could have built a plus EV lineup by playing a three plus two stack of that game. You you personally could have still built a plus EV lineup. Yeah, it literally showed up in my optimizations. That, right. that second so, lineup was a great lineup. It would have been okay. like it had Nick Chubb at 5% owned instead of Jamal Williams. It had a, who probably would have been Devontae Parker. I think it was like 3% owned, scored like 20 fantasy points or something. The but, lineup the, but, the point, but the point I'm making, James, is that you could build 50,000 lineups that are mm-hmm. plus EV with any stat. Like, dude, I played – dude, you want to know about sick? You know, you know, I, I – <laughs> I played 100 large field lineups. Yeah. 16 of my 100 were Mitch Trubisky stacks. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I, sick I am. Ship, ship my money said the same thing. I guess because we were talking we were talking about what my uh what my exposures wanted me to do cuz they wanted me to have da- Daniel Jones as, as like 9%. It wanted me right. to have 9% Daniel Jones. And he was like, yeah, I wish I was looking at that instead of Mitch Trubisky in 20% of my life. Yeah, because because the thing that didn't make any sense as far as Deontay Johnson projects well, right? He projects well. Pat Fryermuth projects decently. Like, what? Like, if I have two receivers on a team that project 
decently, I'm going to want to stack that. And then you play the Jets on the other. Like, so I, and especially with Josh Reynolds, Josh Reynolds was 4,600. Mm-hmm. Right in that 4K wide receiver range. It's like, you know, who's perfect here? Deontay Johnson is owned. Who's leverage off of Deontay Johnson? Chase Claypool, and he's 4,700. He fits in Josh Reynolds' spot in that lineup. There it is. I, I played a, 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 uh, Chase Claypool came in at like 1.6% owned, and I had like 19% of him. <laughs> he scored a zero. He got one, he got a pass from Pickett that it, that it, it was a contested thing. He could have scored six or something if he caught it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, once once uh once Trubisky gets uh gets removed. And and also having Najee Harris uh, in on FanDuel Cash, I mean, it didn't matter. I I did great in FanDuel Cash. It always sucks when Pickett gets two rushing touchdowns, and you're sitting yeah. there going, just just a nice pass to just Claypool rush it, Najee rush it, a nice little little fade to Deontay Johnson, and no, it's going to be the backup quarterback. It's like, dude, I should have played, I should have played Pickett in those lineups. Yeah. Not just- We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I I had. Uh... Oh man, I'm not gonna be able to see it. Um, I just want to answer a question in the, in the chat while okay, you while okay, you look for it. Uh, MJC says safe to maybe say going with a five to six correlated game stack is not the usual way to get there. You can't. Okay, let let me let, let me let, let's 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 back off and understand probabilities in DFS, okay? There's no such thing as a correct way and an incorrect way, okay? If if you told me that there would be a game yesterday, but you didn't tell me which game it was, and you told me there was a game that was going to score 93 points yesterday, you didn't tell me what game it was, you know what I what lineups I would have built? You would have built three, every three, single I one would have been five, six. Right, I would have built I would have built lineups with five or six players if I knew for sure that there's going to be a game with a 90, 93 total points. Now, how often does that happen probabilistically? Not that often. So you should be playing lineups that look like that 
about as often as it ha- like as it happens. Now you don't know what game it's going to be. It's going to be more likely if you go by historic data and you plot it out and you do the R squared. You know, we with the correlation. The higher the total of the game, the higher the likelihood of that happening. Now, obviously, you're also running into issues with salary. So, like the Baltimore Buffalo game had the highest probability of going three touchdowns over it, two standard deviations over. And that's because two standard deviations over the result of the Bears Giants game is like a 57 point game. I'm so right? mad about it. Yeah. Right. So, like, so like the Buffalo Baltimore game is the most likely to go off, off. For a lot of points, the problem is, is that everyone's kind of expensive in the game. So to stack five or six players, like you almost can't build that lineup anyway, right? We saw it with the the Baltimore Miami game in the, in the first week of the season. Now, if if there's no game that goes significantly over, like I'm not even saying over its total. I'm talking about 70, 80 points. If there's no game that's not like 38 to 35, the five to six man game stack. Is not going to win first. You're locking yourself out of like the one guy that has 30 in this game, the one guy that the two guys that have 25 in this. You're locking yourself out of all of those players, and it's more likely than not if if the if this five to six three plus two three plus three if that game doesn't go off, your lineup may not even cash, and it definitely doesn't win. But even if that game does go off to some extent, you probably have a snowflake in there somewhere. You probably have. Someone has like eight points at wide receiver for like 4,200. It's like not bad, but it locks you out of other things. So like how often should you be building the, these super game stack type of things? Well, as often as as probably 2%, 2% of the time, 3%, honestly. And then you still have to figure out what, what the hell game it is to do so. Now, then you have the opposite side of the, the equation. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. The non-correlated nothing type of lineups, right? The naked quarterback and like no one's correlated to each other at all, right? You just random, basically point per dollar random plays, like not even both sides of a game, not even what, just whatever. To get those correct, like you're trying to, I mean, you're, you're putting together essentially a nine thing parlay that has no correlation to it. Uh, On a slate, with a lot of low scoring, those those lineups have more of a shot at winning. For you'll you're going to see a milli winner, and you're going to look and you're going to go, I don't even know how this guy came up with this lineup, because remember correlation is if one player scores a lot, this player scores a lot. If one player scores a little, this player scores a little. So the more points that get scored, the more of an exponential boost you get from having correlated players together. We saw it in the Seattle Detroit game yesterday. Okay. So if the scores are low, the players are correlated to each other. Oh, one guy scores 14. The other guy scores 16. Like, but that isn't like that much many points. So it's like, you could get those points anywhere. So on a lower scoring slate with low, if most of these games went under, or hit around their totals. Like you could possibly see more lineups. Like those super game stacks are dead. Oh yeah. And the one-off lineups, you may see weird lineups at the top, but now if there's like two or three games that go a little over that, like go, if we had, instead of the Detroit Seattle game having 93 points, if it had 62 points, right. And we had like, uh, like one of the other games, the Philadelphia Jacksonville game had, you know, went 10 points over its total. Like those are, those happen on a distribution curve much more often 
right? Where you get out of a 12-game slate, maybe you get three or four games that go off enough that it's like, well, that that may be the stack that you need to win. Like, those typically you're playing anywhere from, like, three or four guys from the game. Like, you're doing a two plus one, a three plus one, a three plus zero, those types of lineups. And that happens way more often. Now, some percent of the time, 5% of the time, you're going to need a super game stack. 5% of the time, it's going to be such low scoring that if you correlate in anything, like you're screwed, right? And then you have everything in the, kind of in the middle on a, on a spectrum there. But from from the bulk of bulk of the results in that middle of the curve, that, that you know, that 68% zone, if it's a normal distribution, is going to be lineups that probably have somewhere between two and four players from the same game, maybe not even the same team. And I don't know what game that is. It's probably going to be in higher total games. And it's also more likely to be in games where the the players already project fairly well for their salary adjusted value anyway. So like this all leads back to the Detroit Seattle game had the second highest total on the slate, the second highest likelihood of scoring a lot of points and the players are all point for dollar, mostly point for dollar values and the fragility of the projections make them more correlated to one another in variance. So like if you were, if you were to build super game stacks, like if any, if any of the games I was going to do it, it was going to be that it was going to be that game, but you have to determine that for you. like, it's not a, Oh, this is a slate where I build super game stacks and you end up having lineups that have Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Richie James, and and Bellinger and Mooney and like like dude, like you that's probably not the game, but it does. Hey, point oh two percent of the time, the Giants and Bears, it's a forty two to thirty five game, mm-hmm. and that would have been the game that you need to have. So it's not a matter of like when do you do it. It's just how pro- what's the proportion probabilistically of how often you should be doing it. So how often you should you be playing? The super game stack of the low total game, probably once every 300 slates, right? So it may probably even more than that, but I'm just making up and like some large number that that's about as often as you should be playing that type of lineup. So it's not, so don't think of it's week four is coming up. Week five is coming up. How do I predict what's going to happen this week? And what game is it? It's just like, okay, let's take a look at the totals of the games. Let's take a look at the projected values of uh, salary adjusted values of the players and go, well, maybe I, maybe, uh, maybe if I'm, if you're playing 20 lineups, maybe it's like, okay, I want to super stack three games, right? Three lineups. It's like, okay, what, what are the candidates for the super stacks? Well, fit those variables. And then like, well, three lineups, I want to have like, no, not much correlation in it at all. Maybe I play a naked hurts lineup. Maybe I play, you know, maybe not a mishmash, but I, maybe I play a lot of secondary correlations. A primary stack is just a quarterback and a wide receiver, no run back, no nothing. Maybe three of my lineups are like that. And maybe the other 14 are somewhere in the middle. Like if you want to go by like an equilibrium-based strategy, that's what you'd be doing. So like to think in terms of like, like is, is a five to six man game stack good or not good? It's like, it's, it's, it's less probable, but it's more profitable when it does come in. If less of the field are building those types of lineups in comparison to what what it should be, equilibrium wise. Yes. 
<laughs> uh, G major reloaded. Yes, I do. But uh, Jordan, Jordan had it, man. Like I, I don't need to add, any, add anything to that. I'm just right. K also in, in chat says you also have to know how many other people are doing it. Five percent people do it every week. You don't gain much from doing it two percent of the time. Right. That's the exploitative. Right. Thinking like balance would be how often should I be doing it and do it at that equilibrium? Exploitative means if people do it too much, I do it less than that and do more of things that they don't do. And when it comes to large field contests, I'm going to keep. I'm, I'm, I repeat this all the time because people watch these shows. Right. They they tune into Roto Grinders. They, they learn how to play DFS really well, and they go, this ain't that hard to really make plus EV lineups. Like, is the is, is, is the edge dead? Is DFS dead? And then you look, at, you look at the large field contest especially, and you see, like, your rake is paid because 20% of the lineups are, like, have almost no equity in the contest at right. all. And, and you start looking, you go, well, like, in baseball, because people talk about it, especially in baseball, they'll go, Oh, a DraftKings people stack four or five man. Like, is is the is the better move to not stack because all these people are stacking? It's like, dude, the field still doesn't stack enough. No, nope. right? You still find enough lineups in there where you're you're like, if you stacked five man in all of your lineups, if you played 150 lineups, if you stacked all the time five man by default, on average, you will be stacking above equilibrium. Equilibrium has not been passed yet. So, like, if just by a heuristic, if you just always did that, you're more likely to be right than wrong. And the same right. thing in NFL that if you're, if you're, if you're, uh, game, if you're team stacking, game stacking, secondary correlations, one one type of things, you're doing it way more than the field, even, right. even in 2022 in large field contests. Smaller field stuff is closer to equilibrium, but it's still. Plenty of people still jamming their cash lineups into into, into small field single entry stuff. There's still plenty or or lineups that are way too contrarian. They just start going off the reservation. That dude, like the the middle ground of the stacks are like three three mans and three plus ones, right? If you did if you if you built all your lineups that way in 2022, you're gonna be above equilibrium in almost every contest you play on average without ever having to study. Well, are enough people not doing this? They still don't do it enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the measurement. Um, I think that especially in, in NFL, you know, we it's because of how large the contests are and because of how many people play NFL, uh, the, the edge is, is there just by entering a contest. Like I, th there are so many people playing bad lineups and lineups that Jordan and I have talked about of being just straight up dead on arrival that um, there's no reason not to play. So long as you are just following very, very basic lineup construction things, like you're, you're going to be fine in terms of, in terms of your EV on your lineups. And, and when it comes to building plus EV lineups, so much of it is just understanding how projections matter against ownership that, as long as you are thinking about those things, that's why I tell coaching clients. So long as you are thinking about these things, you're already ahead of 30% of the field. Right. Here's my here's my best uh, Millie lineup. And I also played the slant. So I think I had a better lineup in there. I could look for the slant also. Because I, I miss I, I I play 100 large field lineups. I don't know what contest they go into. I mean, I played 50 lineups in the Like it's the slant. Like I don't play that many. Kind of where, don't where really matter. Right, but here you go. Geno Smith, Metcalf, Lockett, Hawkinson. Yeah. Right. Eckler and a Cooks, right? Yep. Eckler Cooks. 
right? And then just three one-offs. Then Dylan, Judy, Cardinals. My my best lineup was the Las Vegas stack. I had Nick Chubb and Jamal Williams. I had Cortland Sutton as a bring back against Matt Collins, Devontae Adams, and then I had Pat Fryermuth and Elijah Moore with Patriots defense. Okay. Let me Not take bad. a look at the, the slant. What do I have in the slant? It was my best lineup in the slant. Let's see. Probably a Geno Smith lineup. Probably. I mean, I mean most likely it's going to be a Geno Smith lineup. 201. Go to oh, yeah, lower. 201. Very similar type of lineup. So instead of I have Marquise Brown and DJ Moore opposite each other. Miles Sanders as the, the one off in another AJ Dillon lineup. Loved right. Miles Sanders this week, man. It's a good spot. Right. Here's another one. Here's Geno Smith, Metcalf, Lockett, Reynolds. And then I have Damian Pierce and and uh and Mike Williams, one one. I got Barkley in the Giants defense, running back defense correlation. Then Tanyan is a there you go, tight end. But I mean, if you didn't have Hawkinson, you're dead. I mean, like, it's a, like, yeah, tight end. Yeah, yeah. like, oh yeah, maybe Robert Tanya could also put up 42 points. Maybe this one could get this. Like, I don't think so. <laughs> but then I had really bad ones. Here, 59.26. You want to take a look at this lineup? Yeah, let's see it. The worst lineup. Oh, it's a Lamar lineup. It's not even yeah. a Trubisky lineup. It's not even a Trubisky lineup. Uh, Lamar Jackson with Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, good. Run back okay. Gabe Davis as the run back. Okay, that looks familiar. Okay, good. Right. Then I have, uh, let's see, uh, DJ Moore and Ronald Moore. So Ron some more, some correlation based on last names, of course. Yep. Right. No, I mean, also they're in the same game, right? Cardinals. But that, that's less that's less of an R2 than having two right, more right. in the same line. Uh, Antonio Gibson with the commander's defense. Mm-hmm. Then I have AJ and I have Richie James. I had barely had any. I think I had Richie James in four lineups, and this was one of the four. 14% owned in the slant. Oh. <laughs> Let's see my worst in the Millie. Like that was 59. Like that seems pretty bad. I thought it was going to be a, a Trubisky lineup, and it couldn't mm-hmm. even be a Trubisky lineup. 59. Like what was my worst one in the in the Millie? Let's see. Worst one of the 55. Okay, let's, let's take a look at this one. 55. Yeah, this is a true. Yeah, I got Pickens right though. I got it. I got the 19 play. from Pickens, and you only scored 55. Right. So here's Trubisky, Trubisky, Pickens, Johnson, uh, with no with no run back. Uh, then I got Jonathan Taylor. Uh, let's see, Mark Andrews in the tight end spot. Mm-hmm. I had Devonta mm-hmm. Smith and Marvin Jones Jr. opposite each other, mm-hmm. right? With a nice fat zero. Uh, Con, I mean, this is this is uh, this is what it is. It's uh, yeah. I have uh, I'm pretty close to that bad of a score. I have a 91, but 91, 91 is whoa. 91 is like 46 hold, more points than this. Hold time. on, hold on, hold on, because I need to explain out why it is 91 and it is almost as bad it's because i had damian pierce giving me 29 okay so that 29 over james or over jonathan taylor at 4.3 it was a lamar jackson gabe davis mark andrews stack (laughs) so it's like the same stack as you had over in the slant right but that's why that's why you play cash games where i i crush 
right? Last week I did also. I mean, week two I lost. Yeah, you've been crushing cash games cash. the last couple weeks. You've been really, really hot at him. Right. From a cash game construction, I mean, I don't know. I literally, like, like, dude, I hand-built this lineup on DraftKings. Like, the whole point is that a lot of people were going down to, like, Reynolds, like, Raven. Like, the choice, the, the pool of players for cash games was very small. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you were playing these three wide receivers, Johnson, mm-hmm. Lockett, Cooks. You could have chose to gotten up to Diggs, or you have Khalif Raymond or Josh Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And then it, it came down to, do you want to go down to Raymond in order to improve Jacobs to Saquon Barkley? Or do you not want to do that? Like, to me, I just viewed the line the, the line situation as fragile enough. It's like, I'm just going to go to war with the three, with these three wide receivers. Sure. Like, you, you run me down with your Khalif Raymond lineups. And then jo- I 5,500 for Josh Jacobs is way too low. I thought that was the weirdest cash game play that you made. The rest of it makes sense. The Josh Jacobs one and Josh Allen, I think is, it makes sense, but Josh Jacobs, that one's, that's out of left field. Someone with 25 touches in a favored, in, in a favored matchup for 5,500. Why wouldn't I take it? I tell just, me what the, tell me what the difference, James, uh-huh. tell me the difference between mm-hmm. Josh Jacobs and Jamal Williams and Khalil Herbert. Tell from a, from an opportunity standpoint. One sec. Not much. I I had Josh Jacobs. What did you have Josh Jacobs projected for? Uh, the know? aggregate, fifteen point nine seven. Okay, I had him at fourteen. Okay. So I was I was a little lower on him. That's why I think he was he was a weird cash game play. But a one um, point difference. Actually, from an, actually opportun- from an opportunity share, what's what's the difference? I I don't think that there's much of a difference. I I I actually thought, and I talked about this in the breakdown. I thought that there was there's a handful of running backs that all kind of had that same opportunity as Jamal Williams and Khalil Herbert. I, I thought that. You could have played Jamal Williams, Khalil Herbert, Najee Harris, uh, Javante Williams, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, and Damian Pierce, all basically the exact same play. Right. Like in, in terms of their actual usage. And and that's that was another reason why I, I I'm so I'm gonna have such a big breakdown on this tomorrow when I talk through the slate. But uh yeah. But that's the reason. I just I just wanted to let you know, like. Like, well, why did you play Josh Jacobs? It's like in cash games, I maximize for opportunity. Like, just sure. give me the most amount of touches, the most amount of targets, and run me down. So, like, mm-hmm. I just look and I go, okay, J- Jamal Williams, that's 25 touches. Khalil Herbert, that's 25 touches. Jacobs, that's 25 touches. Mm-hmm. And then these wide receivers, it's like, that's 10 targets. That's eight targets. That's eight targets. The Hawkinson, that's eight targets. And like, Josh Allen, that's 50 pass attempts. It's like, like, just, Dude, and like that's all I want in cash games. Yeah. I don't want to take a shot on someone that could just get two targets, or take a shot on someone like yeah, Saquon Barkley, or or uh, Najee Harris, or anyone else. Like, could be much more efficient in their opportunities. But the name of the game in a cash in, in the double ups is just like running back. Just give me twenty five touches out of a running back, and I don't even care. After what, looking what back at ownerships, Josh Jacobs is fine. Right. I, I I hadn't looked back at ownerships, and I I, I think even I, I because I saw that eight point nine percent ownership. This isn't cash games. He was it was six percent in the milli. I I'm surprised. I hadn't projected higher than that. I, I projected had I like, projected much higher than that. Yeah, I had projected seventeen percent owned. So I I, I, had projected at fi- I had projected at fifteen. Yeah. I I had, but I had penny projected at sixteen. 
I, where did I have Penny projected at? I didn't have Penny projected high, but that's because I didn't go in and do any manual scrubbing. Like, I knew that Penny was going to be high. Right. The yeah, I had, only, I had the Penny. The only one that I was a little off with, it was uh, Amari Cooper. I had Penny at seven, but I would have said that he should have been higher. Absolutely. Right. And and Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper came in at what, 17% owned or something? No, 19 in the milli. Where did that come from? I I try I I I I pondered that on the on the Gilcast. I don't know where we could find a Cooper lineup or anything. Uh number one, it number one, it's the Millie. So you're gonna get a little bit more inefficient ownership. I had um, him at 10%. I had him I had, I had him at 12. I had him at 12. Sure. Uh here's the two reasons. One, recency bias, especially large field contests like the Millie, heavy recency bias. You have to factor that in. And number two, Mariota's owner. Mariota was like the third highest owned quarterback on the slate. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to stack Mariota, you're you're stacking Mariota probably with London and Pitts. You're probably not building a two tight end lineup. So your run back is not Njoku, it's Cooper. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that accounts for 6%. No, I, but don't, I, I, you're I, right. I don't know how much that accounts for it, but I, at least there's, there's <laughs> if you're playing Falcons lineups and playing a bear, a, a Brown in it, it's, it's, you're not playing Donovan Peoples Jones. You're right. You're playing, playing either Njoku or, or Amari Cooper. I get that. Part. Right. And you can't play and you're not, most people don't build two tight end lineups. So mm-hmm. if they're playing in, like if you had recency bias from last week, you could easily just go like, I'm going to play Mariota, London, Cooper and Njoku, yeah. right. You're going to play or Njoku and Pitts. Or so you know, do a double tight end if you want. I just think that the the amount of playable players in that game is very low. Yeah, I agree with that. So if I you're making combinations of them, how, what other people are you choosing? That's fair. I can agree with that. Um, Kaoso, since when do we care about ownership and cash? My strategy in cash games is to play the highest owned players. I I basically I play a blocking strategy across every sport. Because I think that it works really, really well, and it's shown okay, to work really okay, well for double up. for for cash games for specifically for for double ups and 50-50s. Um, playing the highest owned lineup is a way to artificially build an aggregate projected highest owned or highest projected lineup. Right. Basically, basically, basically your 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 long term strategy is, is to make money off the mistakes of the field. Exactly. Rather I, than my, the, and then your projection. Right. My, my long-term strategy in terms of cash games, 50-50s, head-to-heads, is that the field is pretty efficient at building lineups that belong in cash games. Uh, so the way to win in cash games, in my, in my opinion, in my view, is to let the people who think that they can beat the, can beat the aggregates, let them make the mistakes that lose them money. And just build the lineup that looks like the lineup that everybody else is building. If you dupe with 50 other people in a 100-man head-to-head and that those three people that tried to be different lose, it doesn't matter. Like you, you as long as you place in the top 51st percentile, like that's all that you need. So I I, I build my cash game lineups off of ownership. And if I'd have built a cash game lineup off of ownership this week, based on my projections over at Pater. It would have been Jamal Williams, Khalil Herbert, Stefan Diggs, Deontay Johnson, Richie James Jr., Josh Jacobs. And then I I would have used Marcus Mariota because he was cheap and highly owned. But you could have used Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson as well. So 
That's what that's the, the owner, the, the, the crunch by ownership type of thing for cash. Yep. Much, much more viable low stakes. Yes, absolutely. Basically, because the whole gut, remember, you're doing that only solely to capitalize on the big mistakes from your mm -hmm. opponents. Mm -hmm. And if you're playing, if you're playing NFL, especially, if you're playing the massive, not multi-entry, but the massive single entry, like five dollar double up, like dude, you're gonna see like you're gonna see tons of mistakes. You're gonna see so many mistakes yep. that it's like you're gonna just make money by I'm just gonna play the highest on players and let everyone else make mistakes. But once you get to the high, if you're playing an 11 man, hundred dollar, $500 double up or something like that, you may only have one person making a big enough mistake to cover the rake. And then the rest is like, it's a one V one, two V two thing that you're not that playing the highest own. You're going to lose. You're, you're not going to lose a lot of money, but you're going to look that you're not going to be able to beat the rake. Over that time. I've, I've had, Good results against good cash game grinders in head-to-heads with that strategy, but not in double-ups and 50-50s. And the reason for that is because those head-to-heads, when we dupe, which we do when I play cash games, I just email to get my rate back. But you can't do that in the 50-50s and head-to-heads. Right. Okie doke. So you, you, took your, you took your lashings on Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean... It is what it is, man. You take stand, but like, I, I'm not going to be a pussy about it and like back out either. You know, like I, I said what I said and I meant it. And, you know, we move on to the, to the next stand, which we take next week and uh, continue to improve the brand by tweeting out hot takes and hopefully being right next time. No, that, that, I don't do hot takes. I, I actually, I, I'm the anti hot take. I know people, you are. People, I know people listen to a show and say, oh, I listen. I good call on this. I'm like, I don't even make calls. Like, oh no, you're dude. You're, li you're literally listening wrong. I don't make calls. <laughs> like Rashad Penny, for instance. And that's why his ownership came up. I'm like, like he he's the top leverage play of the slate. He ended up not being the top leverage play of the slate. He was a leverage play, but he didn't end up being the top leverage play of the slate because he was much more owned. Uh like that's not a call. Like if he put he put up 31 points, it's like I didn't call that. I just said. Who's the least correlative player to anyone that's owned in this game? Now nah, he's that. He's that guy. That's that's. Is he going to do well? Call. I have no clue if he's going to do well. It just that, it doesn't that's matter. Right. You you made the call. You made the call. Right. Top leverage play. Right. You made the call. Uh, James, people could find you at paydirt underscore dfs paydirtdfs.com. Not it's not it that the stuff you have at paydirt mm -hmm. would have shown that Geno Smith lineups look pretty good. Yeah, so like, yeah. So I you mean, see, this is the problem with doing takes. Is now it's like, well, why should we? Why should we go over to look at your look at your numbers? If you were like, I'm 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 so under on this Geno Smith, whatever, like that, and then 93 points happens. It's like I want to highlight that you now waived your own numbers. I I now waived my own numbers in this specific instance, but as you will see in the Discord and on Twitter, I'm usually lockstep with the stuff that I put out there. And you can uh, find me on Twitter at Pater underscore DFS, or you can just search uh, Old Takes Exposed, and you'll find plenty of tags <laughs> of me on there. Uh, and yeah, you can find all my projections and models and everything like that over at uh, PaterTFS.com. And the tools and the courses, all at TheoryOfDFS.com. Go pick it up. The Advanced Players course with all the Excel tools, as well as six hours of audio from me. Uh, there's, I don't know if there's anything more I could teach. Anything I talked about even in today's show, 
is in is is in this course. So go pick it up. Theoryofdfs.com. Uh, Roto Grinders uh, schedule today. We got we got baseball today. Baseball. It's like three more days left of baseball. Uh, we got the NFL content throughout the course of the week. So hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Hit those thummy thumbs. You know how much I like the thummy thumbs. Hit the thumbs up button, and uh, and I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, answering your DFS strategy questions like I normally do here, Mondays through Fridays, 11 o'clock Eastern, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. <laughs>